Amen and amen, amen. Can we honor, once again, families who've lost? You know, every, every year I stand here, I don't want to say happy Memorial Day, but I, what I do want to say is, let's make sure we honor Memorial Day for that which it was intended. And so maybe some of you may, I, I have some I know young people in the room, so uh, Armed Forces Day is when we honor people that are wearing the uniform. Veterans Day is when we honor people who have taken off the uniform, who once served. But Memorial Day is for people who never got a chance to get out of the uniform. They died while serving. And so we honor them today with Memorial Day weekend. And I hope you spend some time this weekend, not only you know spending time with family and I plan to barbecue and cook, but also plan to stop, reflect, and think, especially here in a military town. So many families have paid tremendous sacrifice for the freedoms to gather and worship like this. And so we are thankful for that today. So amen. One more time, say amen with me real loud, all right? So uh, I want to also remind you of a couple of things. One is this Wednesday night is First Wednesday. And I can't wait for you to be here. Come be a part of it. Come gather with us. If you've not been a part of Wednesday night, First Wednesday is when we, we gather, we worship, we pray. Uh, it is uh, the last one for the summer, so we won't have one in July and August. So make sure we launch into our summer with worship and prayer this Wednesday night at 6.30. Also, I want to say congratulations to all of the graduates that, that have graduated this past week. I know a lot of you have graduated. Stand up. If you graduated, stand up. I want to say hi to you. Do we have any graduates in the room? Come on, stand up. We get to honor you. Welcome. Yep, I see you over there. <laughs> awesome, congratulations. And all the, uh, we, uh, we gathered out in the parking lot on Wednesday to celebrate all the cadets that graduated. Congratulations to all the Air Force cadets. And uh, so proud of you. I tell this joke every year, but the Air Force Academy is the only graduation in town where every single person who graduated already has a job. So I think that's a pretty good deal, right? That's a good dad joke, I think. I think it's a pretty good dad joke. All right, turn in your Bible to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And we're actually going to spend some time talking about a topic today that the church, I think, has neglected. And, you know, the Ecclesiastes says to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to mourn with those who mourn. And so we just rejoice with a lot of family and friends who have something to rejoice this week. But I also believe there is a biblical narrative, a biblical idea of mourning and grieving. And I want to show you a message, I want to give you a message today that I believe if you, have, if you don't take notes, I want to ask you to take some notes today because you're going to find yourself in the days, months, and years ahead standing alongside someone who's mourning and grieving and you're going to want to be able to help them. You're, you're going to want to be able to say the right thing. Now, how many of you when you were going through a time of mourning and grieving, had well-meaning Christians say some really weird things to you. Everybody raise your hand if you had that happen, right? And I, and I, I say to people, listen, they want, they're trying to help you. They have good intentions, but they just don't know what to say. Here's some advice. If you don't know what to say, say nothing. <laughs> Just be present. Just stand there, hug them, pray for them, be with them. But I'm going to give you some things today to help, okay? If you're looking for ways to help people, maybe you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death this morning. I know, I know families, I'm looking across the room, and I, I see families that have lost loved ones and have carried that weight of grief, carried the weight of mourning, and you have done it so well. 
And I want to help all of you. So it's not a matter of if we go through difficult days, it's when. And when you find yourself walking through the dark night of the soul, I have good news for you. Jesus shows us how to do this. So go with me to John chapter 11. This is a story, when I read this story out of John 11, it's one of those stories where you see the full humanity and the full divinity of Jesus on display. It's one of the most perfect stories when you're looking at the humanity and divinity of Jesus. In John chapter 11, I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, Jesus had friends. Jesus had people his age that he hung out with. He had people that, not just the 12 disciples, the 12 dudes that he walked around with, there were other people in his life, family, friends, people that he laughed with, people that he walked with, people that he had conversations with. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were three of those friends. Well, Lazarus falls ill and dies. And Jesus hears about it. John chapter 11 tells the story of what happened next. When Mary reached a place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, that's messianic language, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, I, I, I recognize that you could have helped. You could have helped. And so Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This is very important in friendship is that we empathize with people who are walking through dark times. Do you feel what they are feeling? Do you have a sense of, you may not be able to feel it to the depth that they're feeling it, obviously, because you may not have lost the way they have lost. But do you feel, do you empathize? Can you, can you walk alongside? Can you be present with someone who is mourning and is sad? So Jesus asked the question, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, the way this story ends, it's a pretty happy ending because Jesus actually goes over to the tomb where Lazarus has been laying for three days and he yells, he says, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus, who was already wrapped in his grave clothes, comes walking out of the tomb. Now, that is a foreshadowing of Jesus' own resurrection where he would come out of a tomb after three days. So Jesus is showing his humanity, the strength of his humanity, while not ignoring the strength of his divinity. Jesus understood how to express grief. And most of us, especially, let's be honest, American Christians, we would rather laugh than cry. We would rather rejoice than mourn. And most people are not good at expressing grief. <clears throat> but the Bible gives us a really clear pathway of how to walk through these seasons of our lives. In fact, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. <clears throat> so 150 Psalms, about two-thirds of them are laments. And this is this is what a lament is. It's a grieving complaint against God. <clears throat> in other words, God doesn't mind our aggravation. God welcomes our emotions. God welcomes the full expression of our grieving process. You know, there's, classically, there's four stages to grief. There's, there's uh, denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, and there's acceptance where you, you go through that whole process. And God's okay with all four of those, including your anger, including your denial. One of my most, uh, my favorite of the laments is Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's David crying out, feeling like God's abandoned him. Listen, I want to give you permission today to be fully human in the presence of God. To, to share all of your emotions. Everything that you're feeling is okay for God. God knows it anyway. You're not hiding anything. 
So God would rather you have a healthy conversation where you express those emotions than to pack them inside and not do anything with them. Here's what I want you to remember. One of the things I want you to remember this morning is that the Hebrew writers knew that the path of praise often went through the valley of mourning. In other words, you're not going to get your praise back. You're not going to get your worship back. You're not going to feel fully human until you embrace the path that's in front of you, until you embrace the walk that's ahead of you. There is a valley of mourning that you're going to have to walk through. Psalm 23 says, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear any evil because our, he's, our Savior is there, our shepherd is there, his rod and his staff protect us. The path of praise often goes through the valley of mourning. We know this as a church. We found ourselves in the darkest of places 14 years ago, and we found ourselves not knowing what to say. And we would read out loud the 22nd Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, the 91st Psalm, the 51st Psalm, all the Psalms of lament. And then we would hear ourselves worshiping our way through the darkest of valleys. And now we find ourselves a healthy church, a whole church, because we did not stop the journey through the valley of mourning. So what happens when you do this properly? So I'm going to take you to the other side. Some of you may be right at the beginning process. Some of you may just now be on this journey. So what can you expect if you keep on walking, if you keep on the path that's in front of you? What will happen when you grieve and mourn properly? There's a couple of things, and I want you to remember this for the rest of your life. Because this is why you have to embrace it. You have to, you can't ignore it. You can't pack it away. When you mourn and grieve properly, your pain is confronted. And it's pain, it hurts, it's sad, it's yucky. Yes, it hurts, I don't like this. Proverbs 14, 13 says, even in laughter, the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. In other words, it's easy for us to put on a fake smile, to ignore it, to act like it didn't happen. And this is one of the ways that mental health goes from a minor problem to a major problem. And as a culture, you know, just this past week, they declared a state of emergency in our area for local hospitals because of the number of mental health cases in our hospitals, mainly among high school and 20-somethings, where depression and mental health is at an all-time high. Local hospitals here in El Paso County just declared a state of emergency. And the reason mental health is not being addressed is because we're not talking about it. There's a stigma to it. What if somebody puts a label on me? What if somebody uh, uh, makes fun of me? What if someone thinks poorly of me? What happens if people think I am broken beyond repair? So what happens is we hide in the shadows. We don't, we put a smile on, we fake our way, we fake it till we make it. And that, what it ends up doing more damage than, than anything else. Grief, by the way, is protesting. We don't want what's happened to be true. So grief is a form of protest. Grief is saying, I don't like this. I don't like this, God. This, up, this makes me sad. It hurts. This is painful. Grief is a protest, and it's a healthy protest. It's healthy to let that, those emotions out of you, to express this in a beautiful way. And so what happens is grief is something you've got to enter into voluntarily. Some people think, well, I just got overwhelmed with grief. No, you can avoid it. You can stiff arm it, you can walk away from it, you can hide from it. But grief is something we must enter voluntarily. And if you don't, there's pain 
from avoiding pain. You're not going to get out of it. All the, all the tough guys in the room look at me, all right? I know what you've been taught. Don't cry. Don't show emotion. Suck it up, buttercup. Don't, don't show those emotions. Listen, that pain that you're, that you're suppressing, that pain that you're packing away, is going to come out in other ways. And it normally hurts people that had nothing to do with the original source. It will spill out of you. It's like dynamite being packed away, looking for the tiniest of sparks. And when that spark hits your life, it will explode. And you will look up one day dealing with a pain that you should have dealt with 10 years ago. I know how that felt when my dad died in 2005. I was the oldest son, the one with all the responsibility. And I remember when my dad died, he died late in the night, uh, right after midnight. And so I'm the one that had to call the coroner. I'm the one that had to do the funeral arrangements. I actually spoke at his funeral three days later. I'm the one that had to take care, uh, help my mother with some of the, 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 the things that were going on in their life, their finances and things. And it was days and weeks before my emotions ever caught up with the reality of my dad being gone. But I realized that if I kept ignoring it, if I kept pushing it away, if I kept acting like it didn't happen, that that pain was gonna spill out on to Pam or to Abram or Callie or to my friends. And so I had to take time and make sure that I dealt with the pain. And Ecclesiastes 7 says, sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is actually good for the heart. It says the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. God expects you to address it. God expects you to not ignore it, but to look it in the eye and confront your pain. Here's what will happen once you confront it. Okay, this is the, the, the really encouraging part of this, all right? If you will confront the pain, you'll become available again. Life comes back. Out of beauty, out of the ashes come beauty. So I'm going to read this passage of Scripture out of Isaiah 61. I don't know how many of you know this, but when Jesus really came into the public realm, he walked into a temple one day, opened up the scroll, and this is the passage of Scripture that Jesus read publicly for his very first sermon of all time, Isaiah 61. So he opens up the scroll, and he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to strong people. Is that what it says? He said, preach good news to poor people, people who find themselves in places of weakness, find themselves on the margins. And listen to this. I love this next phrase. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. I love this part to comfort all who mourn. Now, listen to the verse 3. I'll finish it up here. He says, And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then he said, listen, here's what's going to happen if you'll let me do this work in you. You're going to start out poor, brokenhearted, and desolate, but at the end, you'll be called an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, every family in this room that's ever lost a loved one, you don't start out feeling like an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In fact, you feel very much like the first part of this passage. You feel poor and brokenhearted and desolate, but somehow 
because you allow the Spirit to begin to work inside of you, because you confront your pain, you look up one day and you have become something that you never thought you could become. You, in spite of your loss, in spite of your mourning, in spite of the poor spirit that you felt, you look up one day and you are an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I'm looking at the White family here. I, I, I love the, this family here. And I remember when you felt poor and brokenhearted, when you felt overwhelmed by darkness. But every Sunday I look across the way at you, and this family is a, is a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I'm proud of you for allowing God to let, walk you through unimaginable darkness. I'm looking at that. You are a planting of the Lord. And, and I see this all across the room. I can see family after family after family. You've suffered loss. And I was with you when you lost. And nothing about you looked like a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor at that time. But what, and I have been with families who know Jesus, and I've been with families who don't know Jesus. And let me just tell you, grief is different for those two families. But families who know the goodness of God, families who have embraced the work of the Spirit, they, the, the pain is the same, the journey is the same, the darkness feels the same, but there is hope at the end of that darkness. We are not a people who grieve without hope. We're a people who are filled with the hope of God. And there are no shortcuts just because we're believers. There's just a different end in sight. There's a different result at the end of the journey. And the journey is the same. You have to walk it out. It's day by day, hour by hour, wave after wave of grief. But when you get to the end, suddenly something remarkable has happened in your soul. Something changed inside of you. You're a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Go with me to Psalm 137. I'm going to show you a very tiny passage of Scripture that in this, inside these few words is the formula, the recipe, and I'm, I'm careful about using that word with Scripture, but it is, it is a path. It, it details the path all of us must take if you're going to get to the end. Now, Psalm 137 was written as a lament. It was written after the, uh, to remember when the children of Israel had been captured by the Babylonian army, and they were on their way to 70 years of exile. Now, think about this just for a moment. A foreign army comes into Colorado Springs, burns your houses, takes your crops, takes your dogs, puts you in captive. I knew that would get your attention. Everybody's head shot up when I said dogs. That <laughs> we can replace the house. But puts you in captivity and walks you to a foreign land. And there is no hope of you ever coming back here. Somewhere along the way it dawns on you I just lost everything I've spent a lifetime working for, and it may not come back. So Psalm 137 was written as a lament, remembering this devastating time in the history of Israel. In, these, in this verse 1, I have seen this over and over again. The Lord has used these, this one verse so often in my life when I've had to mourn and grieve the loss of something. Now listen to this. You probably have read this a hundred times and not realized what you were reading. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Now leave that up just for a moment. This is the path toward healing. This is the, this is the, 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 the recipe, the formula, the path. This is the process that God will use to take you on to healing. 
by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. So let me just give you three very practical things. The next time you're sitting with someone that's mourning and grieving, I want you to realize that there are three steps they're all going to have to take, and these steps can take months and years for them to, to address these three things in their lives. But this is the process. This is the steps that the Lord is going to take you through to get to healing. Number one, you have to admit there's a new reality. He says, by the rivers of Babylon. These were Jewish people. They didn't want to be in Babylon. They wanted to be, to be by the rivers of, of, of Israel. They wanted to be somewhere else. They wanted to be back in their homeland. They wanted everything to go back to the way it was. Instead, they found themselves in the worst place imaginable, by the rivers of Babylon. And at some point, we have to admit that it's never going to be the same again. I remember the first birthday that my dad, that, I, that my birthday that my dad didn't call me. I remember my, the first wedding anniversary for my mom and dad that my dad wasn't there. I remember his birthday and he wasn't there. I remember the first Christmas without my dad and I kept waiting for the phone to ring. My dad's going to call me. My dad's going to check on me. And I had to admit I'm no longer in Jerusalem. I have to admit that it's never going to look the same. And once you can say that out loud, there is a new reality. By the rivers of Babylon, it's never going to look the same, which then gives you permission to do the second thing. You have to take time to mourn. It says that we, listen to this language, we sat and wept. Leave that up just for a moment. They didn't do this by themselves. And, and grief requires community. Grief requires family. Grief requires people to be there present with them. It's not that the group of people counseled them out of it. They were willing to sit together and weep. We sat. And I, I've heard people say this, well, I'm just going to keep busy. I'm just going to get back into life. I'm just going to get back into busyness. Listen, you cannot heal on the run. And busyness is not an antidote for, for your grief. You have to sit down and be still. You have to look the pain in the eye and confront it. You can't run away from it. You can't ignore it. You can't just stay busy and hope it goes away. It won't go away. And the people of Israel realize that we have to sit down and weep. We sat and we wept. We did this together and we took our time and we realized it was going to take time. Now, what do you do? What happens when you sit down together? Here's the last thing. We, re we, we remember the past. We remembered Zion. One of the things I do with families, and I've done hundreds of funerals over the last 25 years, I've lost count. But one of the things I do with families before the ceremony is to get the family in a room together and start hearing stories. I want to hear stories about the person that we just lost. Tell me funny stories, sad stories, any stories. And what happens when you begin to talk stories, when you begin to share stories, you remember Zion. And it does something to heal your heart. And I say to the families, hey, 10 years from now, I want you to continue telling the stories. Don't forget the stories that made this person really special. Sat by the rivers of Babylon, we, we sat and we wept and we, I love the we language here, we remembered Zion. Some of you know that I grew up in North Louisiana 
And my family has a cemetery that my family's been a part of since the 1860s. In fact, this, this church and this cemetery plot was established in 1861, right when the Civil War started. And the, the family realizes that they're probably going to lose a bunch of family members in the Civil War, so they started this plot to receive Civil War Confederate soldiers because we were in the South. And this is the Cool Springs Cemetery. This is the gate. My, in fact, I was just there a few weeks ago. This is a photo from just a few weeks ago. So I've been to this cemetery since I was a little boy. All of my grandparents are buried there. All of my aunts and uncles who have passed away are buried there. I have two nephews that are buried there. My dad's buried there. All of, my, all of the people that I grew up with who are older than me, they're all buried here. And it's several, probably 15 acres here of this plot. It's in the middle of nowhere. You have to know where you're going to get there, but this is my family cemetery. And so just a few weeks ago, I was there to visit my mom. Here's a picture of my mom. My mom walk, goes there with me. Can you, you got the picture of my mom for the next photo. Next photo. Here's my mom, and she's looking at my nephew's uh, headstone. He was killed in a car accident, and right next to him is my dad. Now, this may seem morbid to you, but it's not. It's healing. Because what my mom does with me is she walks me around that cemetery and sometimes we, we sit and we weep because there are family there that we just recently lost. So this is how we remember Zion. And so we go through the cemetery and we remember, Bab we remember Zion. By the rivers of Babylon, we sit and we weep and we remember Zion in this cemetery. So we just did this a few weeks ago. And she would stop at all these, these places and tell me stories. Well, after about 30 minutes, I stumbled upon a tiny little headstone that had a name on it called, his name was Blanton Boyd. Now, I have seen that headstone before, but I did not know the story of Blanton Boyd. Blanton, and, I, and in fact, the grass had covered over most of the headstone, so I had to clear away the grass. And on the little headstone, it said, Blanton Boyd killed April 1945, Private First Class U.S. Army. And I said, Mom, who is this? She said, I think it's your second cousin. Well, it ended up, it is my second cousin. And Blanton Boyd put his photo up. Blanton Boyd was 20 years old, serving in the U.S. Army. He was a part of the last wave of Allied troops that came on the ground in Europe. He was in the final push toward Berlin to liberate Europe. A month before the end of World War II, he was killed in action right outside Berlin. 20 years old, the same age as, as my, my daughter, Callie. He had already been wounded twice in combat and had come out of the hospital, went right back on the front lines, 20 years old, farm boy from North Louisiana. And I, did, I went online and found there's a full story of where he served. He, he, he arrived in, in, on the, on the, in France and, and went in behind the Allied troops who were making that final push into Berlin and took gunfire right outside Berlin and lost his life. I sat there and heard, and I, I looked at his tombstone. Here's a 20-year-old young man who never got to be a father, never got married, but he did go and serve. And I sat there by the rivers of Babylon, and I wept because I remembered my daughter's his same age. My son's his age. And he had the courage to go stare down evil and gave his life and we sat there and wept and today I just want to tell you I'm remembering Blanton Boyd 20 years old who died April 1945 and it's a good thing to remember his life amen I want you to stand with me this morning stand up with me I want to take a minute and we're not in a hurry this morning and I want you to 
I want us as a church to know something, that it's okay not to be okay at New Life Church. And almost every Sunday, we're celebrating life and accomplishments, and, and we love doing that. We love to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But it's okay also for us to mourn with those who mourn. And on Memorial Day weekend 2021, can we just take a moment? Maybe you're in a time of celebration. Maybe you just had a son or daughter or someone around you graduate. This is the time of great celebration. Listen, we celebrate with you. I love seeing the photos of all the graduations. I love seeing all of that. But there's about half of us in the room who are not celebrating today. We're still walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And so while let's, let's, let's celebrate, but let's also learn to empathize. So would you just pray right now? You may not, I guarantee you're not more than 20 or 30 feet away from someone who's grieving right now. No matter where you're sitting in a room, you're about 30 feet away from someone who needs your prayers, who needs you to pray for them. So can we do that for a moment? Let's just pray for them. Father, we thank you today that you are close to the brokenhearted. That Lord, that when, you, when the Spirit came upon you, Jesus, that you came for the poor, the brokenhearted. Lord, you gave us beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of sadness. Lord, we thank you today that you have caused us to be the planting of the Lord for the display of your splendor, an oak of righteousness. So Father, I pray today that you would comfort my brothers and my sisters who are walking through the dark night of the soul. Lord, we thank you today that we can stop and pause in church and not be afraid of sadness. We're not afraid of the darkness. We're not afraid of grief. We're not, a, Lord, we're not uncomfortable around mourning because we know that you're right here with us. And I pray today that you would overshadow them with your Holy Spirit. I pray you would comfort them as only you can comfort them. I pray you'd bless them as only you can bless them. I pray that you would strengthen them as only you can strengthen them. And Lord, today we pray as a people of hope because Lord, we know you have already gone before us and you have looked death in the face and you have overcome death, hell, and the grave. Death does not have final word over any of our lives. For those of us who are following you, Jesus, you are the way maker. You're the promise keeper. You are a miracle worker and you're right here among us, moving among your people. So I ask our worship team to sing this song because I want you to sing, even though you may be living out what I've preached today, I want you to sing this as a people of hope. And I just feel like the Lord wants to restore some hope in the room today. The Lord wants to bring some life back into the darkness. This is not the end of the story. I want to encourage all of you who have lost loved ones. The story is not over. It is not finished. Jesus is the way maker. So would you lift up your voices? Just a few minutes, Pastor Tim's going to come and lead us to the table of the Lord. But let's end today with a song of hope, with a song of encouragement. And sing this over the people around you. You have no idea, the people around you, how badly they're going to need to hear this song. And so I want you to sing it over them as a people of hope today.
got your communion elements, you can go ahead and grab them and open them up. Brothers and sisters, I hope you heard the good news today. Pastor Brady said when, when we grieve and when we mourn properly, two things take place. And the first was that our pain is confronted. Our pain is confronted. And every time we come to the table of the Lord, we take his body, his blood in our hands and we receive him. What we're reminded of is this, that our God is not a God who just takes pain and sweeps it under the rug and ignores it. That's not what he does. But in fact, the invitation of the gospel is to look our pain in the face, notice it, and then put our eyes on Jesus and let the one who makes all things new deal with our pain. And that's what we're reminded of when we come to the table of the Lord and then when we receive it, when we receive that finished work, what happens? Well, we become available again. We become available to receive that grace, to be strengthened again, to find hope again, to move forward again. That's the good news. And so on the night that our beloved Savior was betrayed, he took the bread and, and he broke it. And he looked at his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I am not ignoring your pain. I am not ignoring your brokenness. It's okay to not be okay. That's why I'm here. And he said, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. And so I wanna invite you into that this morning. Let's take the bread. And likewise, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood. I've, he I've come not just to save you, but to sustain you, to wash you and make you whole, to make you available again. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, let us remember what our Savior has done. Let's take the cup together. And if you can, can you just sing these words again? Declaring who He is. It's who He is in our brokenness. Come on.
this morning, church. Come on, can we lift a shout of praise? Shout of praise that that is who our God is. Can you open your hands with me? As you go from here, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, may you know that God is coming after you. He's coming after you. And his purpose with your life is to make you whole, is to make you new. So as you go from here, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. I pray that he would make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. I pray that you would see his bright smiling countenance towards you as he grants you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Hey, just a couple things that I want to tell you before you leave. It's, as this is such a good message today. If, 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 if you want um, some people to walk alongside you as you're dealing with grief, we have our Celebrate Recovery service on Thursday nights at 6.30. Um, this Wednesday is first Wednesday. It's our last one of the summer. So please come get ready to worship and pray as a family. If it is your very first time with us, we are thrilled that you are, are here. Right outside these doors in kind of this back corner is our Connect Central. We would love to meet you, give you a gift and, and just say hello. Uh, if you would like some prayer today, I wanna go ahead and invite our altar ministry team to go ahead and come forward and, and be available for prayer. Brothers and sisters, please go in God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you.